0: Let's open our Bibles to Psalm 127. And um, if you have a prayer slip, visitor slip, if you'd pass those to the aisle, we'll collect those and pray for you. Before we get into our message, I just wanna share a couple of things and um, wanna recognize the men and fathers in just one moment. But I sure am grateful for the ministry of Russ and Treva Copeland in our body. And we will never hear Sister Sledge again uh, without remembering (laughs) uh, Russ's uh, recollection of that song. We are family. And you know, we're heading to the place as Christians where we'll never have to say goodbye again. That is a wonderful hope we have in Christ Jesus, uh, to be in his presence forever and ever and ever, to live life uh, in his presence and all the joy that will be. Uh, I want to take a moment on this Father's Day and recognize the men of God, the fathers in this uh, church, church body. If you would, men, would you stand? And it is my honor to recognize you this morning and to offer a biblical challenge to you. We're sending a gift in your honor to Emmanuel New Orleans to help with their ministry in New Orleans and uh, excited to send that off to Matthew DeLotter. But I, I just share with Psalm 1. Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of the scoffer, but his delight is in the law of the Lord. And in that law, he meditates day and night, and he shall be like a tree planted by the streams of water that brings forth his fruit in its season. And whatsoever he does shall prosper. What a tremendous encouragement to seek God with all your heart. Do you realize, men, the incredible opportunity you have at this station in your life to impact others for good? and for God's glory. By being a man of God who's faithful to him, a father who walks in the fear of the Lord, nurturing and admonishing those under your care, do you realize the opportunity you have for God's glory? Don't grow weary in well-doing. As long as you're drawing breath, you're on mission. Walk in a manner worthy of your calling. Joyfully keep the commitments of your life. Imitate the goodness and patience of God in your family and live for the smile of your heavenly father. You will not be disappointed. Live for him. Forgetting what is behind... Pressing on to the high calling of God and Jesus Christ, our Lord. May we do that as long as we live on this earth. Father, I thank you for these men in this congregation. And I pray for them on this Father's Day that you would raise them up and raise us up and bring others, Lord, to champion the cause of Christ. May we know and love you. May we treasure your word. May we love our wives as Christ loved the church. May we nurture our children in the admonition of the Lord. May we glory in the cross and never forget your grace that has redeemed us and saved us. And I pray, Father, you would help us to walk as men of integrity and to live with no secrets and that we would be men of biblical vision and courage and sacrifice, that when others see us, they would see you, imperfect as we are, sinful, as we are, we're redeemed by your blood. So may we fight the good fight and finish the course. And may we hear you say, well done, my good and faithful servant. And we pray these things this morning in your mighty name. Amen. You may be seated, brothers. One of the great pursuits of life is the search for meaning. You see that on display all around us. Many times the struggle to find meaning and purpose is likened to Sisyphus, the tragic hero of an ancient Greek myth. Because he had offended the gods, he was doomed to an everlasting hell of repeated and constant frustration. His task was to push a huge boulder up a steep hill. It took all his strength to move the rock, and every time he reached the top, the boulder rolled over and crashed once more to the bottom. And this was his life over and over and over again. Sisyphus' task required that he race to the bottom and start over again. No final progress was achieved. Sometimes life feels like Sisyphus' futile routine. Even for those who follow Jesus Christ, sometimes our sanctification can become and is uh, so painfully slow. And we wonder, um, Lord, am I ever going to make any progress? Life is filled with routine that sometimes can breed a boredom. Uh, I find myself in the regular events of our Connect group reminding those that gather in small groups we live in a local church, we live in routine. And that's not bad. Great things happen through routines, that's how we grow. We're called to discipline ourselves for the purpose of godliness. That's routine. And so um, life is filled with routine that can sometimes breed boredom. And that is why I I mentioned just a moment ago to fathers and men in this body, don't grow weary in well-doing. Sometimes we can feel like we're spinning our wheels and doubling our efforts and gaining little ground. What is true in the Christian life is true in fatherhood. A frequent theme of my pastoral ministry is to challenge and to encourage the men of this congregation to live for Christ and lead others under their care by the grace that has saved you. The grace that has saved you. May you be a reflector of that grace to your wife and to your children. This morning, I want to hold up for our consideration Psalm 127 and 128. You heard Alex read it a moment ago. And the writer of Psalm 127, which was Solomon, speaks of life's efforts as vanity, rolling the boulder up only to have it roll down again and start all over again. The way this psalm describes it in Psalm 127 is that unless the Lord is building it, we labor in vain who try. Psalm 128 follows with a great word of hope and blessedness for those who fear the Lord and walk in his ways. Would you give the next few moments and ask God even now, Lord, help us to understand these psalms that we might take them with us and allow him to build into our lives. Alex mentioned that from Psalm 120 to 134 are called the song of ascents. And they were pilgrim songs. And just, they're filled with great statements. Let me just uh, remind us of some of them. Uh, Psalm 121, I lift up my eyes to the hills. From where does my help come, he asks. Then he answers this question. From the Lord who made heaven and earth. Psalm 122, I was glad when they said to me, let's go to the house of the Lord. You can see how that would motivate the upward climb to Jerusalem as they're getting ready to worship. Psalm 123, behold, as the eyes of the servants look to the hand of their master, so our eyes look to the Lord our God till he has mercy upon us. Psalm 124, if, if it had not been the Lord on our side, if it had not been the Lord who was on our side, let Israel say again, in other words, let's say that one more time. If the Lord had not been on our side, then we would have been swallowed up alive. Psalm 125, do good, O Lord, to those who are good, to those who are upright in heart, do good to your people. Psalm 126, those who sow in tears will reap with shouts of joy. He who goes out weeping, bearing the seed for sowing, shall come home with shouts of joy, bringing his sheaves with him. These are familiar biblical statements of hope and encouragement and rest in the Lord And Psalm 127 and 128 come together to remind us in this grand worship service that the Lord is a covenant-keeping God. There's several scriptures these psalms point us to. Uh, They point us to the Davidic covenant in 2 Samuel 7. They point us back to the Garden of Eden where it all began. And so David's son Solomon built the temple, and the promised line of descent came from David... That would ultimately bring the Lord Jesus Christ into this world, an ever-reigning seed who promised to build his church. And so Psalm 127 refers to the house that the Lord will build. And the poetry really resonates with this temple, the dynasty, the household of God, and the celebration of the return to Jerusalem. Jerusalem. I want to kind of hang my thoughts on several things. If you have the insert, this may help. First, our efforts to hold things together, our efforts to hold together are useless without the Lord. We live in a world that seeks to provide cheap remedies for profound problems. Quick fixes to try to remedy, uh, you know. You don't put a Band-Aid on a melanoma. You need treatment. And for the Lord to do deep treatment on our hearts, our efforts to hold it together without His sustaining grace is useless. That's right. Useless. Even if those that seem to have it all together in this world it doesn't last. He says, unless the Lord builds the house, those who build it are labor in vain. Unless the Lord watches over the city, the watchman stays awake in vain. That word vanity means emptiness. It appears twice in verse 1 and again in verse 2. And Solomon is asserting that if the Lord does not build the house and keep the city, all human effort will be empty, in vain. He then shifts in verses 3 through 5, uh, from house to, the, uh, to building in the sense of a, a family with sons being the topic of conversation. Whereas human efforts are in vanity, the Lord gives sons as a lasting heritage. In fact, they're a gift from the Lord. And those children, God's provision, become God's protection because they will be released for God's purposes in this world. So he mentions in verses 1 and 2, vanity, uselessness, our efforts to hold things together, our efforts to make it successful, doesn't mean we sit on our hands. We know that's not the Christian life. There, are, there should be a sense of urgency as we live for the Lord, a sense of urgency um, as we um, follow him, that our heart would be in tune with the spirit and we would lay our lives on the altar for his glory so vanity to heritage, verse 3, to arrows in the hands of the warrior. And we notice that building is useless unless the Lord builds the house. What does that mean in real time? What does that mean for your life and mine? That means that when we come to know the Lord Jesus Christ, he gives to us um, instruction. One of the, uh, the, the thrusts of the, uh, the Great Commission was that you are to teach them whatever I've taught you, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, you're to teach them that they might obey me, to believe on me, and to follow me. And so when we look at um, the Lord building our lives, we ask basic questions. Who am I? Where do I find my purpose? And for the Christian, we find our purpose on a tree called Calvary. We, we find our purpose in the one who's risen from the dead and is Lord forever and ever. And we care what he says and we believe that he has spoken to us through his word. This isn't hero worship. Jesus isn't dead in a grave. He's alive and he's coming back again. And those who, would, those who know him live for him. That means I care about the obedience of my life. I, I care about the commitments of my life, and uh, everything is under the umbrella of His lordship in my life. And apart from that, my my efforts for security are useless. And Lord, unless the Lord watches over the city, they, the watchman keeps awake in vain. Work is useless unless the Lord gives significance. Can become an idol and an end to itself. The punishment, I I think of the punishment of Samson when I think of uselessness. Here was a a man with all the gifts of God and it's an amazing thing to me to find Samson in the faith chapter of Hebrews 11. But he's there, not without wounds and tarnishes, that's for sure. Uh, Samson was a he-man with a she-problem. And he had a a real uh, issue of integrity which ultimately led to the forfeiture of his strength but the punishment of Samson comes to mind when I, when I think of this vanity. He had revealed the secret of his, his strength and his traitorous, to his traitorous lover, Delilah. In Judges 14 through 16, we read of his life. And it says in Judges sixteen that that the Philistines seized him and gouged him with his eye, gouged out his eyes, and they brought him down to Gaza and bound him with bronze chains, and he was a grinder in the prison. So the job that the ox or the donkey once had pushing the grinder that would grind the meal in the prison, Samson now had strong boy. You got so much strength, why don't you walk around in the circle all day long? The grinder in a Philistine prison was often, again, a beast of burden, and this is what Samson was doing. Hollywood, Hollywood portrays this. The actor Victor Mature uh, played Samson. He, he replaces the ox, and the ox was the the uh, would push that lever. And in the scene in the movie, uh, it just has him going rut by rut by rut by rut, and. There he was, muscles glistening with the sweat, walking around and around in an endless cycle of toil. Useless. The word of God gives incredible hope in these verses. And the issue is, is, will you believe it? That left to myself, ultimately I can't hold it together. But if I trust the Lord and walk in his ways, he's promised to bless my life. I think of Colossians 1.17. And whatever you do in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Young man, young lady this morning, who are you going to live for? Who are you going to give your heart to? Who are you going to listen to in this world? I pray it is the Lord Jesus Christ and you would hear his word coming to you even today. Even with a God-ignoring and God-belittling mindset, this world is very much aware of the futility of life. We see it in suicide. We see it in give it, people given over to passions of all kinds. God calls us to follow him. So without the Lord, our efforts to hold it together are what? Useless. Vanity. Secondly, building your life and family with God's rebar. I was reminded of this uh, picture from uh, our staff reads two books a year. We've done that for a long time. So I'm guessing we've read 40 books together maybe over the years. And uh, our most recent one was by Paul David Tripp, Instruments in the Redeemer's Hand. And uh, Tripp makes reference to this rebar. He says, when builders lay a huge slab of concrete They reinforce it with rebar, metal rods that run horizontally and vertically, adding strength and stability to the concrete. Similarly, the great themes of God's story run through every passage of scripture, producing a stability in my life that I can find nowhere else. Only in the context of these themes will the pieces of my story, the pieces of my life make any sense. So I find in these psalms a building, your life and your family with God's rebar. What do you mean? Well, he transitions from vanity to heritage in verse 3. He says, children are a heritage from the Lord. The fruit of the womb is a reward like arrows in the hands of a warrior, are the children of one's youth. And so uh, he will not be put to shame. How do I get a life like that? Not by following uh, the counsel of this age. Not by following the dating practices and the courtship uh, uh, examples of this world. So I think of, um, of God's promise. How do I build something that's substantial well he's got to do it so I'm looking to his word and to his way for how I make every major decision in my life and so what kind of rebar does God use what do we find in the text of scripture that holds things together I would mention several They're in your insert. Let me switch one of them. And let's start first with God's sovereignty. How do I view the world? Do I really view the world, do I really believe that it's controlled by God? Every detail. I was reminded of that in Daniel chapter 4, where Nebuchadnezzar, after spending seven years a, a, and under God's judgment as an insane person who had lost his mind, to go from the most powerful man in the world to eating grass and um, and, and and basically being insane for seven years, Nebuch, Nebuchadnezzar came to his senses and he lifted his eyes to heaven and he said in Daniel four, um, as his reason returned to him, "I bless the Most High and." Uh, who is to be praised and honored who lives forever for his dominion is an everlasting dominion and his kingdom endures for from generation to generation and so peace and stability come by acknowledging the Lord reigns he dwells in heaven and he does whatever he pleases and Daniel who wrote the book of Daniel was aware of Nebuchadnezzar's fall and his um, and his recovery of his senses Daniel believed in God's sovereignty. how else do you think he could have stood in the lion's den and all of the attacks that came to him in his life God's sovereignty do you believe that God is sovereign? Do you trust him as being sovereign over every detail of your life? are you trusting him with the details of your life? Secondly would be God's grace at the root of pride at the root of sin is pride. For by grace we've been saved through faith and the grace that has saved us we are to express to others certainly those closest to us in our family. But pride says I can do it. I can, I can make a name for myself. And so with that brings a lot of baggage to show God's grace which is expressed in forgiveness which is expressed in all the fruit of the spirit which is expressed in God's wisdom on your life. All of these things come And grace is a rebar, uh, 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 um, uh, that iron that holds the foundation of life uh, together. And uh, thirdly, I would say that faith and obedience to God's word is rebar that you can build on. Um, His commandments are not burdensome to us. They're life-giving to us. Um, Maybe you've come here tonight as a dad and you're frustrated. I could certainly relate to that just remember your failures are not final. And that every aspect of the Christian life, certainly fatherhood, and again, again in the grace of God. And so one of the things that can happen when we fire, when we misfire um, in fatherhood is that we parent without vision. We get distracted from the uh, the, the course at hand. Here would be something that would be maybe revolutionary to your family? When's the last time you prayed with your family? When's the last time you read God's word in your home? When's the last time uh, you've had a, a lengthy discussion about the things of God and what God's doing in your life? That should be ongoing in the Christian family. And maybe you could begin that today by saying, We need to come together and get down on our knees in a family altar and call upon the name of the Lord. Is there any replacement for that? I would say there's no replacement for that, actually, to call upon Him. And when we miss fire, we can become discouraged and temptations can come temptation to give things instead of ourselves, temptation to give our best to our jobs and our hobbies. Temptation to exasperate our children through unrealistic expectations. You know, the New Testament doesn't say a lot about fatherhood. In fact, I can only find two examples in Colossians and Ephesians that speak to fathers. And you know what both of them say? In essence, don't exasperate your children, but bring them up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. Don't be angry with them. Of all the New Testament, don't do that. Marshall Siegel, I'm reminded of an article he wrote several years ago. He wrote, Not every dad is a good dad. Isn't that the truth? Maybe for you, fatherhood or Father's Day is anything but um, good memories. It's not a holy day or a happy day for you. But you know what the wonderful thing about God's grace is that you can begin again. In his grace you can chart a new course my dad was this i don't want anything to do with that i'm going to go this way i'm going to follow jesus christ and i'm going to give myself to the children he entrusts me with he gives to me Some dads refuse to work. Some dads give everything to their work. Some dads are demanding and oppressive. Some dads are distracted or indifferent. Some are harsh, even abusive. Some dads tragically walk away altogether. Instead of pointing their children to God and his love, they thoughtlessly and selfishly provoke them to discouragement and anger. But God, who is rich in mercy, can change that. And maybe even by hearing that this morning, you would be encouraged to take your hands and put them on the plow and say, Lord, plow into my life and lead me to fulfill your calling for me. Other temptations are dangerous. Tempted to find intimacy and connection outside of marriage and family. Temptation to run away when life is hard. Forgetting that First Timothy 5.8 says, but if anyone does not provide provide for his relatives and especially for members of his household. He's denied his faith and is worse than an unbeliever. What does Paul mean when he says is someone who doesn't provide for his family is worse than an unbeliever? What he's saying is that even unbelievers do that in a general sense. Even unbelievers do that in a general sense. Uh, Nathan, I'm breaking up. I'm going to turn this off. Can we go to the pulpit mic? Thanks. So fatherhood is not for cowards. It's not for cowards. Being a man of God is not for cowards. Find any example of a man of God in the Bible and link them to cowardice and you won't find it. It's by faith. It's by courage. It's by willing to take risks. It's men who don't have all the answers all the time but who are trusting God to meet the need To discourage fathers, I'm reminded of a a, a phrase I heard long ago that has rescued me from despair more times than I can count. In the thousands of ordinary days, when you want to give up, it pays to be true, to trust Jesus. He will surprise you with special moments. Yes, he will. Fatherhood is not for quitters, and it's not for cowards. Another type of rebar is God's faithfulness. He says in Psalm 127, children are a gift, a heritage, a reward given by God himself. And a connection between God's blessing on the city and his blessing on the family are one. So the Lord is the true builder of the family. Our efforts to hold it together are useless. Let me close with a third, a third thought, and it's in Psalm 128, and we kind of switch gears a little bit. He begins by making the statement, blessed is everyone who fears the Lord and walks in his ways. And so in this psalm, Old Testament scholar Derek Kidner writes, the quiet blessings of an orderly, ordered life are traced from the center outwards in the psalm as the eye travels from the godly man to his family and finally to Israel there's a joy, friends, in fearing the Lord. There's a joy in fearing God. A faithful walk is what pleases the Lord. Enjoying the fruit of our labor is a picture here. He says in verse 2, You shall eat the fruit of the labor of your hands. You shall be blessed and it shall be well with you. So seeing the blessing of God upon your family, he refers to his wife as a fruitful vine, which has a picture not only of God's blessing through childbearing, but the idea of refreshment. Refreshment in your home. He closes in verses 5 and 6, the Lord bless you from Zion. So he leaves the individual man and his family to speak from the perspective of the nation. When the, when, the, when the man of God is right, the family walks in obedience, it impacts uh, not only the home, but also the entire nation. Is there any confusion on why we are facing so many problems today as a nation? When you look at the collapse of the home, why would we think God would ever bless our nation? when you see marriage in tatters, radically redefined, divorces at a premium? Why would we think there would be peace and stability and blessing when we ignore God's principles so clearly? James Boyce stated that the church is the channel of God's grace Essential for our spiritual health so we can never be merely individualistic believers. We need each other. And that's where he ends by saying, the Lord bless you from Zion. May you see the prosperity of Jerusalem. This is an imagery of the church, of the covenant people of God. Therefore, let us pray for our church and let us work for its good too. If it prospers, we prosper. If God is blessing there, we will be blessed. So these two Psalms speak of of what life looks like when the Lord builds and the Lord blesses. I pray that that would be our longing today. And it begins with a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. How does the Lord build in me a life of blessing? It begins with a, a saving relationship with Christ. That God is in a redeeming work, all of these things, which is an imagery, many of these things, are an imagery from the garden when God created Adam and Eve, that with the fall, we're in need of redemption. Jesus Christ is that redeemer? I can't think of a better, a better gift that you could receive on Father's Day than the gospel? Every dad needs Jesus. Every dad needs Jesus Christ. Do you know him? Do you have a saving relationship with him? Have you acknowledged your sins to him? That you've broken his commandments and you've fallen short of his glory and that that is why Christ has come that as many as received him, to them he gave the right to become children of God, even those who believe on his name. This is good news for a perishing, hurting world. And the issue is, have you received it as your own? May you be the blessed man described in these psalms. Blessed is everyone who fears the Lord and walks in his ways. Would you bow with me in prayer as our Praise team comes. We're going to close this service in in a song. That will be a time of decision, a time of commitment, a time to respond in faith to what we've heard. And as they come, let us pray. Father, as we close out this service this morning, I thank you for the picture that we've seen in Psalm 127 and 128. We know that unless you do it, we labor in vain. So come, Lord Jesus. Fill the heart of every father. Meet the spiritual needs in this room right now. Help us to build on the rebar that will never crumble. Jesus Christ is that foundation. We look to you, Lord. Be pleased as we close this service in faith. In Jesus' name, amen.